The term sound designer has gotten usage in the last decade, really since the Star Wars films began a new interest in creative soundtracks in motion pictures. A sound designer, I called myself a sound designer because I really wasn't functioning just as a production recordist or just a sound editor or just a sound mixer. I did some of the job uh, that all three of those people might do. And, but I was able to follow through from the point of production of a film. That is, I could go out and advise and make suggestions about things that could be recorded uh, once I'd seen the script of the film. I was on hand during some of the filming of the motion picture to gather sounds or at least see what was going on so I could run off myself and begin to manufacture and make sounds that I know we'd need later on. But since I was uh, an exception to that traditional division of labor, I needed to describe myself in some new terms. So I began to use the term sound designer, uh, which essentially meant that I, although I emphasized my creative work in sound effects, uh, my job was to coordinate all that you heard in the final soundtrack of the film. Episode number 228 of Blast Points is Jason. And this is Gabe. It's Saga Year, month seven. keep turning people think the wheels of star wars have been delayed until 2022 it's not true it's still turning it's still going there's no stopping it the proof is in soggy year month seven the star wars just keeps churning and every once in a while you get some butter (laughs) and you spread that yummy star wars butter 
on your breakfast and all is good. You don't want to do too much butter. And you definitely you don't want to eat butter before it's ready. It's not going to be good. It's runny, gets everywhere. You want thick, creamy, sweet, freshly churned butter. And if it takes three years to churn that butter, it's going to be the thickest, creamiest, sweetest butter ever. Speaking of butter, for Saga Year Month 7, we are talking about Episode 4, A New Hope, also known as Star Wars. And how have we not done the sound of Star Wars already. You might be asking, you see see this episode, the sound of Star Wars, haven't they done that already? No, we haven't. If you can believe it, we've done Ben Birdday, we've done the sound of Return of the Jedi, Empire, and Phantom Menace, but not Star Wars, weirdly. But now it's time to right that wrong, and we're going to get into Sounds of Star Wars, which, if you haven't heard our other episodes or have forgotten... It's all based on the spectacular The Sounds of Star Wars book put together by everyone's favorite J.W. Rinsler. And it's basically just filled with bits of knowledge from the man Ben Burt himself, plus 256 sound effects that you can play right from the book. It is probably my favorite Star Wars book that I own. You can put headphones in the book imagining the voice of Ben Burt as you read, explaining all of his, his wizardry to you. Yeah, if you don't have this book, we cannot recommend it enough. They're still out there in the wild, used, and it's not overly expensive. And yeah, if you don't have it, it is totally, totally recommended. We got to get into it, and we're going to get into it, because people, we have 92 sounds to get through. <laughs> 92 and we're not skipping any we're gonna go through 92 original sounds from the one that started it all the star wars but before we get into those 92 let's let's give a little little refresher for those folks that are new to the ben burt experience who is ben burt the legend of ben burt if you haven't been around campfires with people roasting marshmallows telling like let me tell you a story of ben burt well, a lot of kids didn't get like the last third of the school year last year, and that's usually the part of the year when uh, when the kids learn about Ben Burt. <laughs> so, so the legend of Ben Burt, as a child, he recorded and collected sound effects that he heard on TV from westerns, Looney Tunes cartoons. He he had a Pentron reel to reel recorder. He would make audio dramas of stories he heard. He would record entire TV shows and go back and just listen to the audio from them. All totally normal things that all kids do, right? All the best kids do. All the cool kids. (laughs) Just young Ben Burt sitting around listening to episodes of Star Trek on the headphones and Looney Tunes cartoons. Just just for the the sounds. (laughs) Just give me the sounds. It's all the other stuff's filler. I just want to hear the sounds. <laughs> he would record. He would go to drive-in movies with his friends, and he would record bits from the movies. There's stories where he got really into the way explosions and punches were used in James Bond movies. So young Ben Burt was on a date, probably with girls or out there with his buddies, and he just got his Pentron reel to reel. Hold on, I gotta get the I gotta get this explosion from from Russia with love. But we might laugh, but it all paid off in the early 70s when he meets George Lucas. Yes, because George Lucas is getting this outlandish space movie underway. 
backing up a little bit with George Lucas, he his previous two films, THX 1138, uh, Walter Murch, the great Walter Murch, did the sound for that. And he got the credit of sound montage on THX 1138, which itself was a name they borrowed from French directors like Truffaut and Godard. You would have that credit in their movies for sound and they just thought it seemed really cool. So they put it in THX 138 and you know, the, if you're going to talk about the, the, the sound in star Wars, you've got to kind of look at THX 138 and American graffiti, because if you put those two movies together, sound wise, you've got star Wars because THX has a very unique soundscape to it. Like it barely kind of has any music and a lot of the things that would, be like the score in THX 1138 are these bizarre, very organic, but yet electronic soundscapes and weird electronic voices and just bizarreness in THX 1138. Walter Murch's sound work in that you if you go back and watch it, especially the new version, the remastered and THX version, you can hear a lot of the roots of Star Wars sound in THX. If you feel you are not properly sedated, call 348-844 immediately. Failure to do so may result in prosecution for criminal drug evasion. What's wrong? Nothing, nothing really. I just feel that I need something stronger. If you have a problem, don't hesitate to ask for assistance. Thank you, I'll be alright. Call 348. Can you feel this? 4814. Avoid the 714 and the 2336. Alright. And American Graffiti, where they came up with the word for American Graffiti, worldizing, where so much of graffiti was the constant rock and roll, the 50s rock and roll music. But you would hear it in the diner or being played on someone's car radio and it would travel from scene to scene to scene, but it was just part of the world you were in. And it put you in that American graffiti hyper fantasy 1950s world of, you know, George Lucas's memory. And yet, if you, like I said, you put those together, that's Star Wars sound right there. So, yeah, so he's getting this space movie underway, and he calls up USC because Walter Murch was working on some other projects, and they said, uh, we need another Walter Murch. They had called the head of uh, cinema studies, Ken Mura at USC. They said, yeah, we need another Walter Murch. And he said, we don't have another Walter Murch, but we have a Ben Burt. And yeah, and the rest is history. Yeah, we've all seen the interviews and we've heard Ben Burt tell the stories of tapping wires and electrical rods next to TVs for lightsabers and stuff. And well, and really, in addition to just sound, it was there was a, a collaboration formed between George Lucas and Ben Burt that carried Star Wars through six movies, it, with the sound design being 
worked on hand in hand with the visuals and, and by the prequels, Ben stepping in and even editing the movie, the visuals. So there was, he's as much one of the core ingredients to star Wars as, as anyone else other than George Lucas and John Williams, just like John Williams, what Ben Burt added is something that's just part of star Wars. Like every video game, every TV show, Every movie, everything has that has to have that Ben Burt unique sound design aspect to it. That organic yet electronic. What the heck am I actually hearing? Ben Burtness. It's, it's just yeah. It's just part of Star Wars. And yeah, and something else too. Ben Burtt also was the first kind of sound design superstar. Really, like you go through the history of science fiction and genre film and like the James Bond movies, for example, or even like forbidden planet, like movies that have really interesting soundscapes to them. Well, who did the sound? Ben Burt knows, <laughs> but we don't know, but everybody knows and every, but everybody that knows star Wars knows Ben Burt because he's the superstar. He is this first sound design superstar. And now, you know, you think of, Matthew Wood and David Acord and all the people at Skywalker Sound that are carrying on that legacy. And yeah, and I'm sure you'll hear as we go through these sounds too just how many iconic sound effects are from that original movie. And to this day, just a millisecond of that sound, immediately a, a picture of what scene that is in the movie pops up in your head. And and I think we've talked about this a million times. You can just listen to a Star Wars movie and it's just as enjoyable as watching it. And it all goes back to crazy genius of Ben Burt and his obsessive desire to record anything and everything he would hear throughout his daily life. style of sound design has always involved uh, going out in the world around us and recording real sounds, motors, animal sounds, sounds from a factory. Because an audience can recognize the authenticity of those sounds. So sound effects become very important um, in coloring an imaginary universe. All right, so what do you say we dive in and start tackling these 92 sounds, these groundbreaking, influential sounds of the original film? So our first one here is the Rebel Blockade Flyby. Pretty much after the fanfare and the crawl, kind of the one of the first sounds you hear is the flyby of the Rebel Blockade Runner, the Tantive 4, the Tantive 4, whatever you want to call it, the Tantive, and it is a slowed down World War II AT-6 propeller-driven racing airplane. They slowed that down. So that instead of being like a high-pitched whirring, it was a slow, low, grinding, roaring sound, according to Ben Burt. And also a mix of 747 and some earthquake-style rumbles. Naturally, of course. 
as one would do. Totally normal. So next, of course, after the uh, Rebel Blockade Runner, we've got the Star Destroyer Rumble. So with this, probably the most iconic visual in all of Star Wars, not only was it an iconic visual and musical introduction, but there is just that huge sound of the biggest ship anyone had ever seen coming into frame. So the sounds of this were from a visit to White Sands Proving Range in New Mexico, where he was going to record rockets and missiles. And he hoped to get the sound of big rumbling rocket taking off or something huge. But he was lying in the motel room wondering (laughs) where he's going to find this sound because he'd been there for a few days. And he realized there was a wonderful rumble coming out of his hotel room. And it was the air conditioner in the window. Something was wrong with it. It was vibrating. And he says it had this great sound. So I just put a microphone on top of the air conditioner and got this fantastic rumble. The most iconic shot in Star Wars is a broken air conditioner slowed down. I I love, it's a small thing, but that he was there for like a week. Just hunting (laughs) just for that perfect Star Destroyer sound. That's the thing too, like he came on, like he was one of the first people working on Star Wars. Like he was on real early putting all this together. Going nuts, staying in hotels. Where's Ben Burt? Nobody knows. He's just looking for the perfect sound. It's always with Ben, it's always just this random thing that happens that he hears. And I mean, that's that's his magic. That's his superpower is he can be anywhere and hear the perfect sound. And he's always got his recorder ready to go. I want a Star Wars T-shirt that just says Star Wars. And it's just a picture of Ben Burt's ear. (laughs) What do we have next? Next is number three, C-3PO Speaks. Did you hear that? They shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. It's like sweet, sweet, sweet music. What's what's the secret of C-3PO's voice? So he says, for 3PO's voice, generally we tried to achieve a metallic effect by taking two identical copies of Daniel's voice and then playing them back slightly out of sync so that you got a phasing between them. We always wanted to be subtle about it because we didn't want 3PO to become too inhuman. And this is one of those interesting things that this subtle effect that they did in 1977 kind of like a lot of things became a star wars style that has been used for countless other characters that are have to have their robotic voice and there's just something about that slightly natural but unnatural effect that they do on 3po's voice that lets you know it's a star wars droid oh yeah i mean you think of like k2so or L337, or even on, like, a Jedi Temple Challenge or something. You know, like, they all have that kind of droid voice. And I never really thought about that at all. This is why the kids, hopefully the kids are paying attention, and they're taking notes. This is what they missed out with the Ben Burt days at school, Ben Burt Week. In between Spirit Week and Homecoming is always Ben Burt Week. <laughs> all right, what do we have next? All right, next is R2-D2 comments
that's all that's all I need right there. That's it. Possibly the most iconic sound effects ever in a movie of all time. Is there a more iconic sound effect than R2D2's voice? Darth Vader's breathing, maybe? That's still coming though. But yeah, of of all for how much Star Wars sound effects are real world things used in other situations to sound otherworldly but still feel familiar r2d2 is one of the more synthesized sounds uh actually coming a lot of it from an arp 2600 synthesizer that ben would use to design sounds and also manipulate other sounds but the secret to r2d2 is a combination between that synthesized sound and recordings of ben burt's voice or ben burt's voice being modified by the synthesizer which i always forget that like yeah r2d2 basically is just ben burt's voice making noises just changed up in a 19 what 70 something synthesizer yeah well the arb 2600 is pretty cool because you know when we uh in the ludwig mandalorian gallery where he has his wall of synthesizer bits that's about how big the arb 2600 was not quite that big, but it's a big, <laughs> it's a big machine. It's a very Star Wars looking synthesizer. But yeah, there's a great part in here where basically he says, I would close my editing room door and curl up in a quiet corner with a tape recorder and mic and generate baby talk. I put myself into the mind of an infant and acted out a scene with a droid's intentions. I'd whistle and coo. I would sigh and groan. And at the same time, I'd move the oscillators of the synthesizer. But I was periodically interrupted by noisy footsteps on the kitchen floor above my room. In fact, many of the sounds in Star Wars contain low-level footsteps, if you listen closely. What? The refrigerator door opening and closing, plates of cheese puffs being carried off. Star, Star Wars secrets. Who are these people wandering around? And we're, what, where are they? Like, where somewhere there's people who are like, I was just getting a plate of cheese puffs. And weird Benny Burt was over there, curled up in a corner, cooing into a microphone. Well, isn't this when um, they were working out of Lucas's house? <laughs> didn't didn't Ben Burt have an office in the basement of the house? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's not too many people who were getting the plates of cheese puffs, and I think we could think of one person who could really be a cheese puff eater. Yeah, maybe that's the, that's the secret. The secret sauce is that little bit of, maybe it's George Lucas eating cheese puffs in the background. All I'm allowed to have is a plate. <laughs> I want to take the whole bag, but can't do it. Yeah, for for every, pa- every page of the script he wrote, <laughs> he wrote, he got one plate of cheese puffs. So, celebration 2022, Blast Points Party, plates of cheese puffs for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> is there food at this party? Yes. A plate of cheese puffs. <laughs> Okay, what what do we have next? All right, next uh, sound number five is C-3PO and R2-D2 conversation. At last, where have you been? They're heading in this direction. What are we going to do? We'll be sent to the spice mines of Kessel or smashed into who knows what. Wait a minute, where are you going? I love this thing because like... You watch Star Wars, even like little kids that watch Star Wars for the first time, you don't ever stop and think about how insane that is. Yeah, and this book goes deep on the R2-3PO dialogue whole thing. 
Yeah, because basically the beginning, there's a little section here called Learning to Talk. And Benbert says how as they refine their approach to developing R2-D2's voice, Bert would watch a reel and then write down what he thought R2 was saying in English. After Lucas approved it, Bert would try to come up with some phrases for the feelings represented in the lines of dialogue. So there's an example in here, which is from Ben Burt's book, Star Wars Galactic Phrase Book and Travel Guide, which, how, why don't either of us have that book? I'm too ashamed. I don't want to talk about it. But yeah, so basically, R2 is saying, don't blow your bolts. This battle's not over yet. Let's head down to A-deck for cover. Darn, they sealed it off. We can't go this way. And then 3PO's, there's no escape for the princess this time. R2 says, don't panic. Let's go around and down the back stairway. And the la- their last exchange here, what are we going to do? We'll be sent to the spice mines of Kessel. And R2 says, enjoy the trip. I've got to get moving. Adios. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh God. <laughs> please, please put these in the subtitle track. Put out a new edition. We'll buy it and just have Ben Burt saying the the dialogue just in Ben Burt voice. Nobody cares. Like we've all seen the movie a hundred thousand times. Yeah. Where's the Ben Burt doing all the R2 dialogue track. Oh, but it, what's even more fascinating is he says this process took time. A lot of time. It would take one or two weeks to find one or two words that worked. Originally I tried making sounds that had the same intonations and inflections as that line in English, but it couldn't be done. So in the end, it became a matter of establishing a basic emotional level. Excitement, cute squawks, inquisitive whistles, coos. That's the sound that George does very well, which was one of his ideas. George does it very well. Well, I, I maybe when he's describing how R2 should sound, he does a bunch of coos. I don't know. Oh. But yeah, he says real one took about six weeks, and then they started to move a little faster. By the time they were halfway through the picture... Bert had accumulated a library of about 100 R2-D2 sounds. I could steal one and maybe reverse it or take a piece of that one and a piece of that one and put them back together again. And this is, I think, all stuff that it's done so beautifully and perfectly. You never stop to think just how insane it is that R2-D2's voice exists and that they were able to splice it together. Because remember, this is 1976 when they're doing this. There wasn't computer editing. Like this was physically cutting pieces of tape to splice things together. It's nuts. No, and you watch it today, and you just yeah. There's a couple robots talking to each other. It makes total sense to me. There's my robot buddies. I love these guys. <laughs> this is the best movie I've ever seen. All right, we got to move on because we could talk about this forever well maybe this will be soggy year seven and month seven and eight because we'll still be doing this episode so this next one this is one of my favorite sounds in the whole movie it's the tractor beam and coupling let's listen to this absolutely beautiful there's so much just emotion in that sound like you know you you're scared because of that sound so this is 
a stock recording of buzz saws running in a sawmill, which is what is heard when the droids look up. He says there's also a big clunk, clunk, clunk. And that was something George asked for because he wanted something specific to cue the droids and rebels to look up. The clunking sound was a pile driver impact taken from the edit right library. Whatever they did, they created pure art. All right. Next one, number seven, is the rebel ship alarm sound. And this is one of the ones, one of the sounds that's different in the different audio mixes, right? Yeah, I think so. I'd have to go back to our old, uh, the mono mix. Yeah. Because I want to say one of the, the other alternate version was like the Rogue One one they used or, or, or close to it. But then that one is in the ending of Rogue One. The original one here? Yeah, but then the the Rogue One teaser trailer that came out had a different one that was in like the mono mix if i remember right but this is a a perfect one for you this is an homage to star trek which ben burt is also a big fan um and if people don't realize he also did sound design for the 2009 star trek movie this sound was inspired by that. He says, I really love the TV series. I particularly love the sound effects done by Douglas Grindstaff and the group at Desilu. And he said a lot of that was the Desilu and Paramount Sound Library. And they had taken a siren alarm that was recorded for a William Holden movie called Submarine Command from 1951 because Gene Roddenberry wanted Enterprise to have a nautical feel. So inspired by that he came across a recording that was similar to, if not the actual one. So he used it for star Wars, but I played it backwards. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And of course, Ben Burt knows the name of the person that designed the sound effects for the original star Trek, because those are yeah pretty iconic also. Uh, okay. Up next, we got the hatch sizzle and explosion. So, for the sound of the stormtroopers detonating the hatch, Bert used one of his favorite effects from the past, the Fox Thunderclap, which is a recording that the studio had used for years. The clap itself, Bert hypothesizes, he says it was probably a combination of actual thunder and someone striking a large sheet of metal. It's one of Ben Bert's favorites, you know, the Fox Thunderclap. <laughs> you're hanging out with Ben, just having coffee, and you're like, I just, you know, I don't know what to do. And he's like, you need a Fox Thunderclap. Trust me. So up next, we got a pretty iconic one. Blaster hits and ricochets. This is one of those that, like, we were saying before we started, like, it's just part of Star Wars. You just hear it and you're like, yeah, it's Star Wars. Well, it's one of those ones, yeah, it's an iconic sound that lets you know it's a Star Wars laser and not a Star Trek laser or some other laser. But it's also, I feel like it's one of those bits of Star Wars folklore. Even if you're not a hardcore Ben Burt fan, you know the story about the blasters and the, the steel cable on the radio antenna that he you know hits with a hammer or a rock. Like Everybody knows that story. In 76, the family was on a backpacking trip in the Pocono Mountains 
And he says it's actually his dad who chanced upon this peculiar audio effect. And he says they climbed up a hill where there was a tall radio tower, hoping that the wind would make some interesting sounds. Bert's dad says, I picked up a rock and banged on the cable just for fun. And Ben said, that sounds like how the imaginary laser gun ought to sound. (laughs) The Bert family is the best family. Well, speaking of iconic sounds, yeah, next one, Darth Vader breathing. So another one of the maybe most iconic sounds in movie history. With this one early on, there was a lot more sound going on for Darth Vader. Um, They say they had in the temp mixes, he beeped and clicked like a walking emergency room. (laughs) And Ben Burt says he was making so much noise that he was distracting. So he ended up simplifying things to a particular breathing. And he goes on to say basically they didn't have a lot of money. So he went to a local scuba shop in San Rafael where he placed a tiny microphone inside the regulator of a scuba breathing apparatus. Then he just breathed in and out a number of different ways. I went the cheapest route and did it myself. So basically they didn't even buy (laughs) the scuba equipment. He just did it in the store. Don't mind me. He goes in, does this place have a bathroom? Yes. Just sitting on the toilet recording breathing. Going along with what you were saying earlier, there's uh, he mentions how to match the acoustics of a particular setting in the film. Vader's voice underwent the worldizing, in quotes, process Lucas and Merch had used on American Graffiti. Ben Burt says, I remember many hours of playing back Darth Vader's voice in offices, hallways, and bathrooms in order to get just the right acoustic quality. These sessions invariably had to be done late at night when no one was around to make noise. <laughs> And he says, it was spooky being all alone, mic in hand, recording Vader's voice booming from the end of a darkened hallway. Like, now it now would be cool. Like, people be like, ooh, they're doing something with Darth Vader. But in 1976, <laughs> there might have been, like, was there anyone ever around? And they just heard down, like, this hallway. <laughs> like, what the hell is that? Oh, no. <laughs> That weird Ben Burt's in the bathroom again, listening to Darth Vader talk. The concept for the sound of Darth Vader came about from the first film. And the script described him as some kind of a strange dark being who was in some kind of life support system. That he was breathing strange, that maybe you heard sounds of mechanics or motors. He, He might be part robot, he might be part human, we really didn't know. And so the original concept I had of Darth Vader was a very noise-producing individual. He came in, into a scene. He was breathing like some queezing windmill. You could hear his heart beating. He, he moved his head. You heard motors turning. And he was almost like some kind of a robot in some sense. And he made so much noise that we had to sort of cut back on that concept in the first experimental mixes we did. All right. So ne- next we got neck crunching. This I th- vividly remember as a kid as being one of the like grossest sounds in the whole movie. You know, it's movie magic. It is walnut shells inside of a grapefruit rind and then crushed by his hand. He says, so you get smushing and a crackling all at the same time. What, what more could you ask for? That's what I say. 
Up next, Leia zapped by the stun gun, a classic. So this is another sound from the ARP synthesizer mixed with a air cannon, which Ben Burt says was like a little mortar. You could fill it with light debris, particles, and dust, and then you could blow them up into the air to simulate an explosion. So basically this is, I think, becomes a, a kind of a Star Wars tradition of recording movie-making machines or the props on set or the animatronics. So this is just a you know something that you would use in a movie to make an explosion kick dirt in the air, and they recorded the sound from that to give it a little bit of a poof. Whatever it is, it's beautiful. Next, we got door closes and escape pod ejection. All right, so the motor of the door was from a, the main telescope at Mount Palomar Observatory in San Diego. Naturally. I guess, yeah, because it's it says at, while he was at USC, Bert was part of a crew that was making a documentary about the observatory. And while he was making the documentary, he recorded the motor just in case he was ever going to need it. <laughs> you never know. You never know. And then he says the uh, when the pod is ejected was the result of a phasing experiment in which Ben Burt was inspired by the sound of a silencer used in Dr. No. When James Bond kills Professor Dent. <laughs> Next time you watch Dr. No, pay very close attention to that moment for the escape pod ejection from the Star Wars. All right. Next, we've got R2-D2 head motor sounds. And now here's a C-3PO motor sounds. Number one on the pop charts. So on Tatooine, the audience could hear more of the droids' banter and could hear their interior motors, which had been the responsibility of Sam Shaw. So the droid engine sounds were cut in by Shaw from the antenna and window motors of a Cadillac Eldorado. Ben says making the motor sounds for the droids was a huge job. I had never gotten to that on my list because they weren't a priority. And it says the antenna motor, a lower pitch sound, was primarily used for R2-D2 and the higher pitched window motor for Street DPO. But he says in that early scene, we didn't have time to differentiate between whose sound was whose. Later on, the high pitched motor became exclusive to 3PO and the lower pitched one for R2. Which is kind of nuts because it's one of those things that you probably can listen to the movie with your eyes closed and you can tell which droid is which because of the sound just subliminally. <laughs> and I never really thought about that. But now that I, I'm reading that, it's like, yeah, they, they do have a slightly different pitch to their motors. Because yeah, you hear those sounds and you're just like, yeah, that's R2-D2. Yeah, that's C-3PO. Unbelievable. All right. So up next, Jawa stun gun slash R2-D2 clunk. Now, I always thought the Jawa stun gun sounds a heck of a lot like the Stormtrooper stun gun from earlier in the movie. It's just like a standard Star Wars stun sound. Yeah, it says the sound of the Jawa stun gun was a similar combination of elements as those mixed together for the Stormtrooper. Uh, yeah, and up next, Jawa dialogue. 
Brasil. Para o This is one of those tracks from this book that it's worth owning the book just to have the raw Jawa talk clip to listen to whenever you need it, whenever you want it. It's right there. You make you wish there was a 1-800 number, 1-800-JAWA. If we call for advice, like an astrology, look into your future with a Jawa. Any questions you have, just ask ask Jawa one eight hundred ask Jawa. Get egg recipes. Oh, so okay, what's the deal with the Jawa dialogue? His research led him to several African tongues. He says because of the exotic rhythms and the occurrence of phonemes not found in general American speech, he zeroed in on Zulu. And he says my approach in recording survey has always been to put the performer, almost always non-actors, at ease by engaging them in conversation. It was helpful to have them tell me childhood bedtime stories or familiar folk tales where they would dramatize a range of emotions and even play different characters. One individual gave me a really good dramatized argument between husband and wife, which became the basis for a lot of Jawa ease. Uh, and there's a great part where he says, previewing the voices for the editors provoked laughter and more. When we showed the scene of the Jawas coming out of the hiding to capture R2, Marsha Lucas was rolling on the floor and laughing, Bert says. She was just tickled by the sound because it made such a difference. It brought that scene to life because now it was clear that there were these little beings in the costumes. If, if Marsha loved the Jawa talk, then I love the Jawa talk. That's, the way. that's, that's when they became buddies. Um, okay, so up next, Jawa Sandcrawler rolling along. So during the same trip to the Poconos with the family, he rode the Philadelphia trains and much of the clatter from the trains was used for the interior sand crawler and its motor sounds. And he says the exterior sound of the crawler was a mix of my father's small bulldozer and the turbine whine of a helicopter engine. Naturally. <laughs> yeah, exactly what it sounds like. R2-D2 projection hologram. Whatever it is, I love it already. Yeah, this this one's one of the the secrets. It doesn't really say how they made it. Sounds like another very Star Trek-y one. It's very Star Trek, yeah. Up next, Princess Leia dialogue, or Leah, depending on who you're talking to. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. So he says for this, we played her voice over a little telephone receiver in an empty room and then picked that sound up with a microphone. It worked nicely because it had a very tiny, tinny effect. It's like quirky or quirky. <laughs> that sounded as if it was really coming from a miniature projected image. So she's literally talking on the phone. All right. So this next one we're getting to, stop what you're doing. You might want to sit down. You might want to go get a glass of water because it's Aunt Beru's food processor. Does it get any hotter than that? It's the original Star Wars slow jam. <laughs> Turn the lights down low. Put that on loop. Oh wow, that is is so. It's just so good. It's it's Baru. It's Tatooine. It's Baru's exotic vegetables that she's putting in her food processor. It's just 
I don't even know if I want to know. Like that might be like a magic secret. This one, the secret is worth it, and it's worthy of its place being one of the best Star Wars sounds of all times. So this is a slowed down loop of sounds made from his grandfather's shortwave radio that he made about 20 minutes of recording of back in the 1960s, sitting up in his attic on a hot July summer day in Ohio. That one tape has been useful for decades, he said. So he took one little sequence of that tape he made in the 60s, and he says he slowed it down and he made it into a loop that would just play over and over again endlessly. So even he knew it was a hot jam that you needed to play on a loop. And you bring out the best for Baru. That's what people do. <sighs> okay, Bantha moans. Is this just Ben Burt moaning into a microphone? Is it George, is it George Lucas snoring at night? <laughs> <laughs> One time Ben Burt didn't eat for three days, and that's what his stomach sounded like. So he says uh, this is the, some of the bears that uh, he had collected for Chewbacca. He says, I was recording as many real bears as I could find. The ones used for the Bantha are slowed-down bear sounds that I got from a guy named George Casey. Thank you, George Casey. Moving on, Tuscan Raider Victory yells. <laughs> So this one is really fascinating because this is a a true Star Wars collaboration. Basically, they had mules carrying the film equipment to the remote locations in Tunisia. And they say occasionally they would burst into barks and screeches during the shooting, uh, ruining the shot. But it says their vocals echoing off the canyon walls sounded weird and scary to Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) So George had them recorded and sent back to Bert. And he says he cut them up, changed the speed, and combined the sound with a few other breathing and wheezing animal elements. He even found a person who could imitate the sound of a mule. Was it Howie Hammerman? Uh, I don't know, but I like to think that Ben Bird has a book with just names and numbers of people who can imitate the sounds of animals, and he just calls them up. This is an iconic one, lightsaber, ignition, ignition and wave. Like we said, this this one is like legendary. Everybody knows it. We've all heard the story of like how is the lightsaber sound made? But it's great because it comes from kind of Ben's life. He was a graduate student and working as a projectionist that had some very old simplex projectors. When sitting idle, the motors made a wonderful humming sound. He says, and it would slowly change in pitch and form beats that created a soothing harmony. It would put you to sleep. And it was either that or the fumes from the arc lighting in the room. So that was the the core of the lightsaber. But he says what was missing was a sparkling sound, something scintillating. He found that by accident one day he had a broken wire on one of his microphones, which had been set down next to a television set, and the mic picked up a buzz, a sputter from the picture tube. Just the kind of thing a sound engineer would normally label a mistake. But he says, sometimes a bad sound can be your friend. Another words of wisdom from Ben Burt. 
And he says he recorded the buzz from the picture tube, combined that with the hum from the projector, and movie history was made. The lightsabers are one of my favorite sounds, and in fact, it was the very first sound I made for the whole series. For some reason, after I read the script, even though my assignment was first to find a voice for Chewbacca and then a voice for R2, and then, uh, well, maybe come up with some sounds for laser guns and other things, the lightsaber fascinated me. At that time, um, when the script had first come out, uh, they had some paintings that Ralph McQuarrie had done so that there were some concepts visually of what some of these things would look like. And those pictures were very inspiring because they gave a, an idea of the direction we were trying to go in the look of the film. And it was inspiring to me to therefore think up sounds that might fit that kind of visual style. And uh, I could kind of hear the sound in my head of lightsabers, even though it's just a painting of a lightsaber. I could really just sort of hear the sound. I think maybe somewhere in my subconscious I had uh, seen a lightsaber before. So up next, the Force Rumble. It's an earthquake from the 20th Century Fox Film Library that was originally created for a volcanic eruption in 1959's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Of course. I feel like I didn't even really notice this until the special edition. And like in a THX theater, it really is more like a, it's like a subliminal kind of like subwoofer sound. TVs can't handle the force. You got to be in a theater. It's big screen stuff. (laughs) Strictly big screen stuff. This is, this one is one of my favorites. The Homestead to Thai Whale Transition. I love this. That's just genius. Because that, that note of the tie whale is just perfect coming after the Luke looking at the burning bodies thing. Yeah, the combination of music and sound design becoming better than either would be on their own. And that was the crazy thing, too. When that piece of music was reused in The Force Awakens brilliantly... Like I was like, that's really familiar, but because it didn't have like the tie whale, I couldn't figure out what it like. Part of Star Wars was that from it's so familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. It's just absolutely brilliant. So moving on, though, we've got the torture droid and door slam, which also is very similar to what we last heard. So let, let's hear that. Absolutely genius because it keeps building in intensity. You know, you don't even think about it when you're watching the movie. Yeah, because it's a combination where it works as like an abstract sound collage musical thing. And then the fact that it is tied to visuals that make sense of this creepy droid and then a door shutting to at the end of it. 
And this is again the ARP synthesizer where he's like modulating the pitch like up and down like for vibrato and he's just slowly speeding up the rate of that to up the intensity as it gets closer. And then the uh, door sound is one from uh, the Mount Palomar Observatory. It's the giant shutter door of the uh, telescope. So up next, Luke's land speeder. If I had to guess, some sort of airplane. Yes. Part of the sound is the sound of reverse thrusters, he says, which are the sound a commercial jet makes when it hits the runway and reverses airflow into its engines. And it's also mixed in with the sound of Los Angeles Harbor Freeway through a vacuum cleaner pipe, which I believe is also part of the sound for the snow speeders in Empire was that same freeway through a vacuum cleaner pipe sound. The old freeway through the vacuum cleaner pipe technique. (laughs) Tried and true. Up next, Chewy talking. (laughs) Chewy talking is another one. It's like the R2-D2 beeps. It's iconic. It's classic. But you don't even think about it. It's just, yeah, that's Chewbacca's voice. That's what a Wookiee sounds like. You know, everybody knows what a Wookiee sounds like. Come on. Yeah, and they're, you know, it's bears and other mammals, some sea lions mixed in. But the thing in here that I think is the most fascinating, and it's one of those things that it's Ben Burt at his best, is he talks about how coming up with the sound uh, had to take into account the limitations of the mask. And he says he was restricted to one-dimensional opening and closing of the mouth. He couldn't shape the lips. So whatever sound I imposed on the face had to be anatomically credible with the movement the viewer saw. And he says, fortunately, the animal sounds were consistent with that. The bear sounds in particular were formed in the back of the mouth without lips or tongue. (laughs) Can you imagine a Wookiee with moving lips? (laughs) (laughs) But it's so great. It's one of those super subtle things. But when you think about it, it's like, yeah, that's why one of the reasons Chewbacca seems so real is he's making sounds that if you saw a bear making those sounds, it seems natural and bears lips don't move. And yeah, if Chewbacca was like, hello, I'm Chewbacca. Welcome. (laughs) Like, it would be weird because his lips don't move. But him making those sounds, it totally seems like that's he's a real Wookiee. That's what they sound like. Would you like a blueberry? I hear you need a fast ship. You should talk to my friend Han Solo. Chewie uh, was actually the first voice that I was hired to work on back when Star Wars was just in the script stage. Uh, They knew they had this character named Chewbacca who was going to have to act and appear in scenes with the other actors. And the question was, uh, what would he sound like? He's not going to speak English. He's going to speak some sort of alien animal type of voice, supposed to be an intelligent uh, language, but not English and not German, not French, not something we'd really recognize. It had to be something made out of animal sound. One of the first meetings I had with George Lucas, he, uh, we talked this over, and he said something about, well, maybe bears would sound good. He had heard some recording maybe somewhere of bears um, growling and making uh, vocalizations. He 
didn't say where that was, but he said that'd be one of the things you might look into. And we had a list of different animals to go out and record. So in the sort of year I spent recording preliminary sounds for Star Wars, I collected lots of bear sounds as well as walruses and lions and badgers and sick animals and you know domestic and all sorts of things. And out of all these recordings, you could extract little bits of sound. Little grunts and moans and uggs and args and purring sounds, whatever it might be. And I made, I collected, uh, put all in one tape, essentially, all these sounds which I thought had emotional feelings associated with them. You play this sound, it sounded affectionate. You play this other sound, it sounded angry. And uh, in that manner, I kind of had these categories of little sounds that each had an emotional tone associated with it. So I began cutting those together to try to get a sense of speech out of Chewie. <laughs> well, speaking of Han Solo, that's our next sound. Fast ship. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Now, is it true that Ben Burt played five different Harrison Ford audio tracks at different speeds and combined them and that Han Solo's voice? Um, possibly there is no Harrison Ford secrets in this book. They just jump right into the Cantina Aliens. Okay, here is our first background cantina alien. Here are some alien voices slash Walla. Beautiful. Now we got Dice, Ibgon, and Ketwal, the tentacle guy, and the wolf man. <laughs> Moving on, naturally, we got Feltiper Turvag, aka the goat guy, and he's talking to Hammerhead. This is beautiful. Now we have Herchek Cal Foss, who is the Trandoshan, who is talking to Little Flash Gordon at the bar. Everybody's favorite muff talk. And rounding it out, Pondo Baba, aka Walrus Man. He doesn't like you. Okay, so, so what, what's the hot stuff going on in the cantina there? Yeah, so Ben had a lot of fun here, obviously. So he says, I had a list of what I referred to as outtakes, things that I might have tried for R2 or for a Jawa that George hadn't picked. So pretty much all the material that didn't get used for the main characters was used in the cantina. And he says all sorts of techniques were used. He had a friend read Latin and Bert processed the sound in a synthesizer to create a weird voice. He's chopped up Swahili. He used a hippopotamus. To provide the laughter for one alien. A spring pepper tree frog. He says it's a variety pack of everything that I'd tried. <laughs> it's a Ben Burt potpourri, if you will, in the cantina. Burt consequently arranged for a large tank of helium to be brought in. Several crew members volunteered for the oddball experiment. Everyone had a balloon full of gas and on cue inhaled it and then tried to engage in speech. Ben Burt's sitting there. I need helium. I need a big tank. Do, do, do you think George Lucas ever took a hit off a balloon? 
I hope so. But he says, by take four, they were capable of sustaining conversational tones. <sighs> the things Ben Burt has seen, the things he's experienced. But, you know, it works. Like, you think of, like, we were talking about with worldizing. That's a perfect example of worldizing in Star Wars with the cantina music. Like, when they go and they sit down at the table with Han and Chewie. And the music is just playing in the background and you still have like the chatter of all the alien voices in the back and stuff. You were in that cantina. Before we move on, one last thing. A good friend, superstar, Howie Hammerman. According to Howie, quite a bit of the helium was left over in the tube. In perhaps a helium-induced moment, it was decided to put Lucas's Alaskan Malamute, Indiana, in a closet and drain all the helium into it. They then tried to get the dog to vocalize, as Melmutes do, but on helium. I don't know how I feel about that, really. I can't imagine George was too happy with that. That, that Howie Hammerman is trouble. Oh, okay, we've got to move on. Greedo. solo. <laughs> So Greedo wasn't always uh, the familiar voice we know and love. It says, uh, for a while, he spoke in a staccato oink-oink language made by Bert and Lucas, oinking simultaneously into a microphone. Release the tapes. <laughs> we need the Ben Bert Lucas oinks, the original Greedo. <laughs> what was that even like? You know, didn't George warn... Uh, Dave and John Favreau about that, like they ran, they they ran into the same thing with with their with the cool speaking pig voice to Jawas. Like Lucas could have told them, "Oh no, Ben and Ben and I tried that. Don't don't go the pig route. Don't work." Han shoots Greedo thump. So Han's blaster is a mix between a mortar firing mixed with a ricochet of a pistol. And the explosion of Greedo is another sound. This is from the Warner Brothers sound library. And another part of Han's gun is a stock explosive effect that goes all the way back to the movie Sergeant York in 1941 and used in many of Chuck Jones's classic Roadrunner cartoons. This is, this is a classic for the whole family. Grindian. Have you ever heard such a beautiful sound? The voice of an angel. What are we hearing with Grindian? It is another example of a human voice modified by the synthesizer. And Ben says he discovered it was an electronic buzzing that had come off my synthesizer triggered by a human voice. I listened to it and realized it was John Wayne in a scene with Kirk Douglas. I had found some of his loop lines in the studio trash. So the buzzing was triggered by some dialogue like, all right, what are you doing in this town? Or something like that. I had run it through the synthesizer until it came out. Zit um wop do. So wait a minute. <laughs> Garindian is super synthesized John Wayne voice. That Ben Burton dug out of the trash. All right. All right. That's why he is a legend. We're, we're, we're learning so many things here. So up next, we've got some Millennium Falcon stuff going on. We got the Millennium Falcon blast off. (laughs) 
Millennium Falcon pass by. So with the Falcon, uh, one of the goals for him was to not just record jets. And this is kind of the beginning of where he realized if he recorded World War II planes and slowed them down, that the high-pitched elements of the motor kind of were transformed into, he describes as a really energetic, powerful sound, halfway between a jet and a piston plane. So the Falcon was, he says, was essentially derived from a slowed-down P-51. And, you know, that's another kind of part of Star Wars DNA all the way through the pod race and the prequels and probably into the sequel trilogy that Star Wars spaceships are based on propeller airplanes in almost every case. So up next, we've got the Falcon jumps to hyperspace. And the Falcon in hyperspace. I'm a big fan of that Falcon jumps to hyperspace sound. I like that. All the little combination of gizmos and things we're hearing in there. So this is a a little more history into Ben Burt. And he talks about how this was something he thought of as he was a kid. He says, lying in his room, listening to airplanes flying overhead. He says uh, most of the traffic those days was propeller planes. And the sound he would hear in his room wasn't from the planes directly, but it was indirectly as a reflection bouncing off a cement water tank on a hill across the street where you would get a doubling effect from the echo sound and the real, real sound. And it was a weird effect, which he dubbed the water tank effect. (laughs) If you ever hear him talking about the water tank effect, it's because there was a water tank across the street from his house that he would hear planes on. He says when he began working on Star Wars, he discovered how to basically recreate this water tank effect by taking two copies of a sound and putting one a little bit out of sync with the other. So for the Falcon sound, he did that with a DC-3 airplane sound, and then he mixed in some of the motion control motors from the camera at ILM, (laughs) which is really crazy when you think that they were filming the Falcon using those motion control cameras and ultimately that sound of the cameras filming filming the falcon became the sound of the falcon they're trying they're working and sweating it out in the early ilm days and here comes ben burt coming in with a big old boom mic don't mind me all right so up next grand moff tarkin voice you may fire when ready it's like classical music that's what that is <laughs> it's its own sound effect don't need any processing on that magic. Coming up next, Death Star Laser Countdown. Commence primary ignition. Hot, 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 hot. Is there any specific ideas about what that bass drop is? Because ooh, I love that. I think the bass drop, because he talks about he mixed in an electronic tone. So my guess is that's maybe like a from the synthesizer, just like a bass sine wave or something. But he his inspiration here, he says, is uh, in the serial, the Flash Gordon serials in the 30s, spaceships buzzed like giant buzz saws, he says. 
That was always one of my favorite effects because it was such an outrageous different sound. Well, that leads, of course, right into Alderaan Explosion. So this one, it says it started with a classic monster movie, Frankenstein. The biggest part of the sound is from Frankenstein's laboratory's electronic explosion. And he says it has such a long delay that what you get is called a comb filtering effect, which is a swimming sense of movement. The sound no longer stands still. It sweeps through, changing from moment to moment. It's an effect that had sometimes been used in music of the 1950s and 60s. I don't know what music Ben Burt's listening to. (laughs) Well, what's great with this is then he goes into a a, a very Ben Burt story about becoming interested in a strange effect that he heard in some odd-sounding gunshots in an Errol Flynn Western, which he eventually learned was because during the dub, they accidentally played two identical sounds slightly out of sync. A look into the free time mind of Ben Burt. Yeah. Well, and that's similar to what he ultimately did to get his water tank effect. Like, you know, that's the way his mind works. It's like ever since he's a kid wondering how these sounds are made and then he figures it out and it becomes part of his, his toolbox. This next one, get ready. Hologram chess pieces, raw, unplugged, unfiltered recordings. This is incredible. I take one guess who that's making those noises there. (laughs) Who else could it be but the man himself, Mr. Burt? Towards the end of post-production, the footage of the stop-motion holograms came in, and he had little time. So he says, Out of desperation, I sat down and performed the voices myself, ran them through a filter so they would sound tiny, and then orchestrated them to fit the fight movements on the chessboard. Hopefully someone was going by with a plate of cheese balls. <laughs> I hope so. Well, and this, the, the sounds like this are reason enough to buy this book to just get the raw chess piece audio. If you're having a blue day, if you're feeling kind of bummed out, you just play this. And this is only Star Wars. There's episodes one through six in this book. We've got to move on, though. And moving on next is Mad Chewy. <laughs> And what makes Chewie really mad? C-3PO. So we've got some C-3PO dialogue. I suggest a new strategy, R2. Let the Wookiee win. What does that scene remind you of? The training remote. So this one is interesting because this is another case of digging something out of the archives here. So this is from the vintage Warner Brothers sound effects library. The whoosh is from an old cartoon sound that was used when characters whooshed off screen in a hurry. They're live action cartoons. Always happen. Ben Burt, he knew. What do I do for this scene? The old cartoon whoosh. (laughs) He's like, whoosh, there it is. 
Han Solo dialogue. Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. Which he got that by putting George Lucas's dog, Indiana, in a closet filled with helium. It's fact. It's canon. That's, that's why Harrison Ford, his voice since 77 on is slightly different than his pre-Star Wars movies because now all his ADR work is just replacing his real voice with a dog breathing helium. Exiting hyperspace. That was another mix of the engine from the DC-3 and a little bit of an electrical relay sound from a motor. Naturally. The Falcon Alarm. (laughs) Topping all the dance charts currently at the clubs that are not open. Ben Burt being Ben Burt, he says here that... uh, he was still working on his master's degree at USC when he started on Star Wars. So he had keys to the sound department. And he says, on Saturdays, I would go into the studios where there was recording gear and a console, and I would make sounds. And he says he had access to all the equipment, including an oscillator, which is an electrical device that generates tones. And he created the Falcon sound by toggling it on and off really quickly. Saturday party time. That's what you do. It's the weekend. You take your shoes off, put your hair down, get loose. Well, you know, the weekends he needs a break from making Star Wars sounds in the basement. So he goes to USC and makes Star Wars sounds in the sound lab. No interruptions with plates of cheese balls. So we got Death Star ambiance. I know we talked about before in our other sound episodes, but I wish like there was again the baby sound machine, like to get babies to sleep with like rainforest sounds and like rainy night. If there was the Star Wars like sleep sound machine, which is Dagobah sounds, Death Star ambience. Well, it says this was kind of a deliberate pounding, like a heartbeat. They say to give life to those empty environments and he says a lot of the clanging and banging sounds again were from the palomar observatory so who knew that so much of a new hope was a telescope ben burt knew (laughs) death star doors yeah so this again on his trip to philadelphia he's just riding the subway and recording sounds as the subway train goes back and forth. And some of the doors from the subway were used for Star Wars, mixed in with uh, some of the air cannon sound. Death Star computer sounds and unlock. (laughs) Wow. The good stuff. That sounds a lot like the uh, like the droid motor sounds. He says, in the temp track, there were a lot more computer sounds because the music hadn't been added yet, and since he had more space to fill. But afterwards, he says, the sounds were in the way of the score, so a lot of them were toned down or removed. He says, horns and bleeps can still be heard, which Ben created on a synthesizer. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> the mouse droid. Can you guess who did the voice of the mouse droid? Ben Burt. 
It was, and this was an unused version of R2-D2. Wow. Where uh, Bert did his voice, and he speeded it up. He says a lot of that droid was based on my impression of Curly from the Three Stooges. <laughs> oh, boy. And he says, you know how Curly goes, woo-woo-woo-woo-woo-woo. I can't do a good Curly. But he says, in fact, George might have made that sound once because it was not uncommon to hear something like Curly in one of the red editing rooms. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. So what we're saying is George Lucas has been known to maybe do like a Curly impression. Yes. Star Wars secrets. All right. We've just got to we just got to keep pressing on. We can't dwell on this. The tractor beam ambiance. The tractor beam shutoffs. Okay. In a book full of amazing Ben Burt stories, this one is really wild. He basically goes on to talk about how when he was a kid and it was hot, he would go where they had a Coke machine. He would open the lid and put my head inside, he says, close the lid and hang there where it was nice and cold. It was very soothing, and when that motor would kick in to cool it, the machine would make a fantastic sound, and that inspired the sound we hear when Ben Kenobi powers down the second tractor beam. See, that's the thing. There's somebody somewhere. Maybe they know about Ben Burt like later in life, or maybe they don't, but they just remember the weirdest kid they ever met. Like, remember that kid he used to put his head inside the Coca-Cola machine? Yes. And he says they actually recorded some of that sound from a newer Coke machine, placing the recorder in the hole where the bottle slid out. <sighs> Coca-Cola, get one for me if you're going down there. <laughs> <laughs> we got to move on. The Di- Dianoga. <laughs> that's like that's more dianoga than i've ever heard in my entire life the creatures off-screen roars were old dinosaur material from edit right and the on-screen moans were inspired by the voice of the devil in the exorcist whoa wow (laughs) the trash compactor What's great about this section, and he makes a really good point that it's something I don't think I ever really think about enough, is that it says Bert enjoys being able to create off-screen worlds. And he talks about how when it starts up, everything is off-screen. The sound of the mechanism falling into place, the sounds of the motor starting. So basically, yeah, none of that. There's no visuals to go with that. All that tension and anticipation of what's going to happen is just from the sound and is just your imagination filling in the blanks based on some sound effects. Again, it's, it's the whole worldizing thing. It's, it's Ben Burt superstar. 
And he says he used motor sounds, dumpster door creaks, and a pile driver. Up next, orchestrating a laser gun fight. Just pure, just, just insanity. So that is different versions of the stock blaster sound by varying the pitch and amounts of echo and phasing. And he makes the point to say, if you had the identical sound for everybody's gun, it would become redundant. And one of the things involved later in cutting the film, creating as many different sounds as possible and orchestrating the many variations together to make it more interesting. And it's neat hearing this because this kind of is the same concept that would build to ridiculous proportions with the pod race as far as making a race where every vehicle has a different sound and that sound sounds different in every shot based on its motion and everything going around it. Every laser has to have a different sound naturally because if everyone had the same sound, no one would buy it. It'd be <laughs> this. Well, this is ridiculous. I'm not following this crazy movie anymore. I was into it with the talking dog man Right. And the the bar full of crazy aliens, but once all the lasers had the same sound, I can't. I just can't follow this thing anymore. Vader ignites saber, hum, and wave. So is the Vader saber different than like the Luke saber? No, it says they were all basically the same combination of the the TV tube buzz and projector motor. But he says by varying the amounts of each sound in the mixture, he was able to create very different sounding effects. So almost similar to what he was saying with the laser guns, you know, they're the same sound, but by making different variations, you get different sounds by the same library of bass sounds. Obi-Wan dialogue. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Which is the sound of cheese balls on a plate. Saber duel. So the other secret ingredient to lightsabers is when two lightsabers touch. And that is another sound from old motion picture projectors. The light was produced by electricity being run through carbon rods, at which point would a spark would jump between them and they would actually burn. And he says there's a jump of sparks from one rod to the other that makes a wonderful squeaking sound. And it's that mixed with the old piece of metal rubbing against dry ice to get even more squeak. And mixing those together is the clash of lightsabers. And where would we be without it? Nowhere. Lost and confused. (laughs) The Falcon Turbo Laser. Okay. is my favorite Judas Priest song I'm your turbo laser Uh, (laughs) the tie engine sound 
high weapons firing. High blow up. So for the tie fighters exploding, he says he went back to his early research and he says at one time he'd been trying to imagine what an explosion in space might sound like and mentions in his office he even had a tape titled in search of the ultimate explosion. You know, everything he says makes him more and more our friend. And he goes into more detail here. He says, there were just wacky things I tried, he said. I made a sound on the synthesizer once that sounded like a liquid burp. I took that sound and mixed it with a conventional explosion, but it was a weird sound. I was going to call it space ether explosion and some of those made it into the gunport sequence. If you listen carefully to the big TIE fighter that blows up right into the camera, half of that is one of those oddball space ether explosions. It has a gurgling to it. Does it now? <laughs> ben Burt. <laughs> space burp. If, if he can't find a real burp, he's just going to get his synthesizer out and make his own. Okay, so now we're getting into the Death Star battle. And we're going to go rapid fire through a lot of these. Let's start with the Rebel spacecraft warm-up. X-Wing takeoff. X-Wing flyby. This one's uh, for the baby sound machine, Y-Wing ambient sound. This is one that always reminds me of THX 1138. We're passing through the magnetic field. We're passing through the magnetic field. TIE laser burst. X Wing gets hit. X-Wing laser fire. It's beautiful. TIE fighter blows up. This is one you hear the sound, you see it in your mind. X-Wing trench dive. TIE Fighter Cockpit. Death Star Cannon.
And finally, the Rebel Target Computer. All right, so what's some of the hotness in there? All right, so this is all over the place here. So basically, they were able to get into a place called Pacific Air Motive. They would take engines and put them on a test stand, and they would just run the engine basically, I think, for hours to test it. So he would just put microphones in the chamber with them and just get recordings of all these different, he says, whistles, tones, and accelerating sounds. All right. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. And he talks about how he made all the cockpits different pitches. So when you're cutting from cockpit to cockpit to cockpit, the tone goes up a little or down a little, which tells you that each pilot is in a different place, traveling at a different speed. Well, and that's something, you know, like we've said so many times with going through this, it's just part of the world and you're watching the trench run. And I, I don't care how many times you've watched the trench run. Every time you watch it, you're completely into it. You're not really paying attention because you're, you're just always into it. Yeah, right. It's almost like you feel the sound effects more than actually hear them because they just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like sound effects. It just feels like you're there. So he also goes into some of the ways that they were uh, staying low budget, basically, the voices over the public address system in the outpost are Ben Burt, of course, and two of his friends, Tom and John Sila. And he says they just got a bullhorn and went to a local stone church and just recorded lines inside its echo sanctuary. So just Ben, ben Burt on a bullhorn. Uh, he also talks about the another kind of classic Star Wars sound effect with the pilots where they would record their voices and then transmit them over a shortwave radio and kind of s- record them slightly out of not quite tuned to the right frequency. So you get that, you know, at this point, it almost seems more like a Star Wars sound effect where in, you know, in the 70s, someone might think, oh, that sounds like a shortwave radio. But no one knows what a shortwave radio is anymore. And now it's just the way that people sound in Star Wars when they talk. Cockpits and stormtroopers and everything. It's just, it's that 70s charm that we talked about so often on the show that is just part of that Star Wars aesthetic now. I love this next one. And again, it's it's another one that you don't even notice while you're watching the movie. The silence interrupted by the TIE Fighters. The guns, they've stopped. And that's actually one of his favorite parts of the movie. His actual quote is, I think it's one of the most successful sound moments in the film. And it is. It's, again, like the garbage trash compactor and the blockade runner getting in the tractor beam at the beginning. It's just this, you get so much emotion just from the sound of just tension and dread of what's coming next. Vader's targeting computer. Well, and that's one too. It's combined. 
you've got the music, you've got that hyper, faster, more intense editing. You know, the trench run is just absolute genius. I could talk about it all day, watch it over and over again. It's masterpiece. Marsha Lucas, thank you so much. Next one. Go with your feelings. <laughs> yeah, Obi-Wan saying use the force. Use the force, Luke. Yeah, there's nothing about that in here. I guess that's just how Alec Guinness's voice sounds. That's that's what you get when you when you hire the big guns. You bring in Alec Guinness. He brings his own reverb. <laughs> I've got my own reverb, George. I've been just plugging the things here. Luke, trust your feelings. Let's try it once more. It's on the. Uh, it's, they're all good on this one. Uh, it can be a little more. Um, um, word I can think of is paternal. It's you know Luke. The force, the force is with uh, what you. What a kind of like, reminder. Thing. Yeah, it's a little yeah. reminder kind of. Yeah, let's try that. Should I just carry on or what? Yeah. <clears throat> Luke, the force is with you. Yeah, that one was good. That's better. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Let's yeah. try one, another one that way. R two D two scream. Can you guess who did R2 scream? Ben Burt. Ben Burt. He says, R2 has a scream, which is just me screaming. I did that scream up at Parkway in the basement where I worked. I remember I was lying on the floor under the workbench table because it was the quietest place in the room. It would insulate me somewhat because it had a file cabinet on either side of it. Later, I sped up my scream a little bit, so it's higher in pitch. But it's funny, I've tried to repeat that scream over the years, and I've never been able to hit that note again without coughing or something. Ben Burt's a weird dude. <laughs> like, every year on his birthday, he just tries to recreate the R2 scream. Maybe this is the year. You're all, all clear, kid? You're all clear, kid! Now let's blow this thing and go home! Whenever I hear that, I just think of the uh, the arcade game. <laughs> You're all clear, kid! Double dribble! Vader, fighter, spin out. Try spinning. That's a good trick. That sound, though, to me, it sounds a lot like Anakin spinning in the phantom menace and it sounds like grandson uh kylo ren spinning in the last jedi it's it sounds it's very similar it's a good trick what more can be said luke's shot the death star explosion so the secret he says to the death star explosion in the end what worked was to first cut in a howitzer blast I had recorded at Fort Irwin, which was strong and abrupt. Then on top of that came the old fox thunderclap. (laughs) The old thunderclap. (laughs) And he says it brought with it all the pedigree it had earned from being the climactic thunderclap for the finales of several biblical epics. I think that subconscious association by the audience gave the explosion a unique cosmic significance. I would say so. He had to do all the heavy lifting because the ring wave wasn't there until 97. <laughs> I need you to carry this one, Ben. Can't have a ring wave. Said it was impossible. I don't believe him. 
The sound of explosions has always been a great passion for me. And so when it came to battle scenes or the destruction of the Death Star or anything of that sort, I always got into it quite seriously and uh, spent a lot of time recording explosions and weapons and trying to figure out ways to record them to get the maximum visceral effect out of the event. Um, real explosions are very difficult to record because they're so loud and quite often they're so sudden and short in duration of sound that a normal recording system doesn't get something that's very interesting. It gets a big clap or a big pop or something of that sort. If you listen to explosions often on the, uh, on the news, things recorded in actual warfare, sometimes it doesn't seem to have quite the, the body and the tone range that you are used to hearing in motion pictures. Um, I went out and did a lot of recording of explosions. Uh, I went to White Sands Missile Range to record missiles and rockets taking off and impacting and air-to-air interceptions. I went to many military bases and recorded uh, tanks shooting and artillery. Uh, I, had, I got myself in a situation once where I was being bombarded by howitzers from about five miles away, and I was in a trench, and they were sh dropping shells 500 feet out in front of me where my microphones were. Blew up one pair of microphones, cut cables, put some more out, uh, ducked shrapnel, but got some great recordings, and I repeated that experience over and over again over the years, uh, always in a quest which I call the search for the ultimate explosion. And uh, I've gone a great distance in this, but I don't know if I've gotten it yet. Uh, so, number 92. We've done 92 sound effects here. What's our last iconic so sound effect from Star Wars? I wonder what. Let's, let's play it. Great shot, kid. That was one in a million. <laughs> That's it. We Ooh. did 92 sounds from Star Wars. Ben Burt went on to win a special Oscar for his work. He should win an Oscar every year. We should all be sending him thank you cards. At least once a month. I don't think that's a good idea. We'd probably get arrested. They should stop calling it the Oscar and just call it the Burt. Yeah. So yeah, with this film, with Star Wars, the Ben Burt legend was created. And what he achieved, if you can't tell already, by this massive episode we've done, is a groundbreaking achievement. And uh, we say it every time. Next time you watch Star Wars... Watch it with your eyes closed, or any Star Wars movie. Watch it with your eyes closed. You've probably got the time to do this now. Get like one of those, you know, sleeping masks, sleep masks, put it over your eyes, and put in your favorite Star Wars movie, and just appreciate it on a whole different level. The award goes to Mr. Benjamin Burt Jr. I'd like to specifically thank Ken Mura of USC Cinema and producer Gary Curtis for giving me a start on this film and for associate producer Jim Nelson, whose great friendship and encouraged me and encouragement, <laughs> help me out, fellas, <laughs> uh, was helped me a lot during the film. I'd like to, of course, thank George Lucas, who had all the great ideas and provided all the inspiration for the things in Star Wars. Thank you very much.
Galaxy's most popular movie is great family entertainment. Still showing on the giant screen at the Dominion Tottenham Court Road. Seats bookable. Star Wars. Certificate U. May the Force be with you. These last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So, Apple Podcast Reviews. When you are done listening, if you're listening on something Apple, go over there, write us a little review, say something nice. We'll read your review on an upcoming episode. We love reading them. We love getting them. It helps the show in mysterious ways. It helps people find the show when they look up Star Wars podcasts on the Apple Podcast thing. So, yeah. Do us a favor, leave us an Apple Podcast review, make us happy. And don't forget to check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, sign up for the Super Chill Group. There is always Blast Points fun to be had. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we have got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon, and we've got to give a big shout out to our new members of the Blast Points Army this month, Megan and Paul. Megan and Paul, you are now members of the Blast Points Army, and each and every one of you out there, we appreciate your support so very, very much. We got tons of bonus episodes over there on the Blast Points Army. Check it out. Well, and that about wraps up episode number 228, Saga Year. The sounds of Star Wars, A New Hope. If you can believe it, we did it. I can't believe it. Are you still there? Are you still listening? I hope you are. (laughs) Hopefully you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. And yeah, it's a big bonus, double-sized, extra-large Big Mac version of a Blast Points episode. But there's no other way to do the sounds of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope justice. We love Ben Burt. He's the Ben best. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. sounds in and we're 40 minutes.
All right, here we go. Made a force. Be with all of you.